Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Bible teaches is only given to those who will turn to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ. It is not given to people who think they're good. It is not people who just go to church. It is not given to everybody. It is given to people who put their trust in God's only provision for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, what we call salvation, and that is the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Unity is very important, especially in a church. In fact, a church united in the gospel of Jesus is a force in its community. But how does a church achieve this type of unity? Today, Pastor Jim will explain that unity comes from a certain motivation and mindset. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of Philippians chapter 2 with part 3 of his message entitled, Joyful Unity. In verse 1, the apostle appealed to the church out of experience here... He appeals to them out of what is God's heart. And he says to them, God's heart needs to be the way we think, and it needs to be behind everything that we do. In other words, God's attitude needs to be our attitude. And what is perhaps our biggest danger as human beings is our what? Our attitudes. Our attitudes. I mean, if we're always angry with everybody, then like, I don't know why I don't have any friends. Okay, hello. (laughs) You're always angry with everybody. And our attitude, he says, I want you to come together that the attitude of the church is about the gospel. Now, this is a mindset that we have to have or unity will never happen on the outside because bitterness will rule on the inside. And so together as people, and I don't think we fight the fighting thing of church, but as Americans, apathy is always knocking at the door. Busyness, other things that are more important, all kinds of things that are going to take us away from following Jesus and developing friendships with other Christians to help us grow, that's always going to be at the door. That's always going to be the temptation for us. We cannot be fully united as a church if we're always expecting the church to do things. Because the church is the people. Together we have to do things. You know, there's always people who need things. Meals. How many of you would like me to cook a meal for you? In my house, it goes like this. Get out of the kitchen, honey. I love you, but you're not a cook. For me... My wife wakes up every morning, every Sunday morning, I have this ritual where I have one of those low-calorie, 5.30 in the morning, microwave ham and egg sandwiches. She has to cook it for me. (laughs) I'm that pathetic. (laughs) I mean, I cooked hot dogs once, and I go, I cook. She goes, that's not cooking. I go, it involved heat. (laughs) It's cooking, and it involves heat to me. Okay, so you don't want me to cook for you, but there's other people who are part of the church who can help by cooking for you. And so we have to get out of the mindset that the church 
is going to do things. And notice how this happens. He says, having the same love. Now notice he didn't say loving the same things. As much as I hate to say it, it is okay to go to this church and be a Red Sox fan. It's okay. (laughs) Cowboys, I don't know, (laughs) okay? But we don't have to love the same things, but we all have to have God's love. We all have to seek to be in the import-export business. God's love is imported to our souls, and we export it to other people. We don't let it die with us. We are exporters of God's love. You see, because God's love is not a passive love. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, the Bible tells us, Christ died for us. And so we are not passive. We possess the same love that compelled Jesus Christ to die on the cross and we have to be actionable with it. We have to move with it. And we can show others the love of Christ and as we do, we will experience joy. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be good and sometimes people will dump on you. But you can still know that you loved God in the process. Notice the apostle begins this verse and ends it with the mind. It's all about the mind. Fulfill my joy, okay, by being like-minded. At the end, he says, be of one mind. Be of one mind of what? Of the gospel. Not all the other stuff. That's why when we do our outreaches, we go out and we tell people about Jesus. That's what we are to be about, Okay, not all the other stuff. I know when we go out on outreaches, the other churches are, you know, they're selling raffle tickets and they're giving away toys and stuff like that. And God bless them. But that's not what we're about here at this church. What does the front of your bulletin say? Helping people grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. Every idea, every suggestion, everything that somebody did at another church or heard about another church doing that comes to our church, you know what we do? We run it through that funnel. We run it, we sift it through that. Explain to us how that is helping people grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. And you know what that means? We sometimes have to say no to some really good things, really good things, whether we don't have the money, whether we don't have the manpower, whatever it is, but also sometimes is, is it doing that? So there we go. That's number two. Number one, motivation for unity. Number two, mindset of unity. Number three, the mechanics of unity. Okay? So how we all to think, he explained it. How are are, are we, because we have our experience, we have to think about the mind of Christ. And now he's, what do you and I personally need to do? What is this going to look like in my life? How do I execute on this? And he holds out this standard here in verse 3 and 4 that's absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. To have the mind of God, maybe. To have the attitude, maybe. To actually live it out in the war with our flesh. Very, very difficult. May God have mercy on our souls. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. I mean, selfishness is really one of the base roots of sin. It's all about me 
I only care about me. I don't even care about God. And my ambition is to get what I want, my needs, my thing, me, 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 me. You know, we've just, we're two years old. We just learned to be more classy about it, the way we act about it, but we're kind of still the same way. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. He's saying to them, listen, whatever you do in the church, don't be selfish. Don't let selfishness motivate what you're doing. So it should take us four hours to get out of the parking lot. You go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. All right? So do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit. Don't be the center of your world. Get out of the box of you and start to think and care about other people. But, so you put that off and put this on. Stop doing that and start doing this. But in lowliness of mind, some of your versions translate that humility to the ancients. Humility was like the worst. Do not be humble. People will get one up on you. Sound familiar? You know, they'll stomp on you. Don't let them do that, right? Let each esteem others or count or value others better or more important than himself. Now, don't start running around here like, oh, I'm just such a piece of garbage, Jim. But the other people are so wonderful. That's not spiritual. We'll talk about that in a second. Verse four, let each of you, now who's exempt from that? Nobody. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, you have to look out for your own interests. If you don't look out for your own interests, then we have to take care of you right? So if you're able to take care of yourself, you have to take care of yourself. And the Bible assumes you will look out for your own interests, right? So there's a practical part to it. If you give all your money away and you show up here tomorrow morning and you're like, I gave all my money away. Can I live at the church? No, it's against zoning ordinances, okay? Now you are become a burden to the church, right? So we don't want that. We have to look out for ourselves, but there's a selfish aspect to it too, right? Where I only look out for myself. I only care about myself, so he says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Again, to our friends, and if this is you here today, I'm not meaning to insult you, but people will say, I don't have to be part of a church to be a Christian. And I always say, then how do you obey this? This is a letter written to a church telling you as a Christian how you are to act in your church. Impossible to do it. Now, it seems something, there's a little bit, we'll get more into it, particularly into chapter four, seems to be that some of the Philippians are maybe, you know, they've been at church for a while, maybe getting a little lazy, seems to be some fighting or some striving, people wanting their own way. Welcome to church life this side of heaven. It's just the way it is. And the Bible never, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. But the apostle comes in so countercultural and counterhuman, if you will, and he says, have a lowliness of mind. Start looking out to bless others because that's the only way you end up with a united church. And interesting, he uses the term selfish ambition, same term he used back in chapter 1, verse 17, of those who were against him. I mean, I imagine they were reading it like, oh, the people with selfish ambition against the apostle. We want to shoot those people. And then he says, and don't you have the same thing? Don't you be the same way? You know, and many people want a church to be about their needs. It's all about me. 
And sadly today, the church that makes it all about you is rewarded by tons of people going to it. But it's not the Christian way. That's not the way Jesus taught us to live. And so many people are just so self-absorbed. They just have to be first in everything. The other night, we had the supper, and it was funny. I was teasing two of the ladies who are complete servants. I mean, they're just complete servants, these two. And they were at the counter before the food was being served, and I walked into the cafe, and they were just leaning on the counter talking to one another, and I was like, yep, selfish ambition. Two of you have to be first in line for the food. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm only kidding, only kidding. But there are legitimately people who have to be first in line. Let me ask you after the service today, what is your main thought? I'm going to run to that cafe so I'm first in line. Or I got to get out of the parking lot quick before those other people hold me up. Some of those people cannot make a left on Route 15. I mean, they just like, go, not go, not go, right? Oh, the church should put somebody out here. (laughs) What should our first thought be? People around you. Make it your first thought today to introduce yourself to someone you don't believe you've met before. Take 10 seconds, 10 seconds, and take a chance and say, you know, I'm glad you came today. It's nice to meet you. You just absolutely never know what could happen. You know, some people are just takers, not givers. That is not the Christian way. You say, well, that's just a Philippian church. Well, what did he tell the Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. All right, well, that was just the Philippians and the Corinthians. All right, here's what he told the Romans. Romans 12, 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. You see, do you remember when Jesus said in the Gospels, and if you're new to the Bible, it's okay, but those of you who've been around longer, do you remember when Jesus said this, if you want to follow after me, this is what you need to do. You need to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. Now you might be saying, so what in the world does that look like? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. It's to have the attitude of Christ. It's to want to live the way he lived. In a church, it's to take a step of faith, to reach out to others, to not wait in bitterness for other people to reach out to us. It's to share with others. It's to give to others that we have received from the Lord and we have received from others. You see, I think a lot of people make the mistake in the church these days. They think that the enemy of the church or the enemy of unity is the difference of opinion. It's not. We all have difference of opinions. That's fine. That's totally okay. Right? Now, there's a place and a time to talk about your opinions, right? Not as soon as the church service ends. We want to try and meet other people. But the enemy of unity is what? In gratitude for what God has done for me. That is a serious enemy to unity. A true enemy of unity is what? Self-centeredness. Only about me. It's so sad when you're a pastor, you see people who actually leave the church because nobody took care of them, but they didn't even dawn on them to even care about other people. Another enemy of unity? I'm just too busy to care. 
just too busy. Was Jesus Christ too busy for you and for me? Never, never. And we display our ungrateful hearts when we act the same way. That is not Christianity. In fact, that is a Christ-denying attitude characteristic of people who do not believe, who have not been changed by meeting God himself. For your homework, read John chapter 17, Jesus praying before the cross for the unity of his followers. It's just incredible that this would be so important to him. You know, our culture tells us that we deserve to be happy. You ever see those commercials? And they're like, you know, you deserve this and get the thing, that, the happiness you deserve and this that you deserve. Says who says what, right? We tend as human beings to expect our happiness that we're entitled to it. And how often do we expect that to come at the expense of someone else? Oh, we're expecting the whole world to give to us. Give to me, give to me, give to me. Or if they're not going to give to me, I'll roll over them and I'll take from them what they have. But a heart changed by the Savior's love, by the grace of God, is a heart changed in a new direction, in a completely different direction. We have aired some of our sermons on the radio, on a radio show that's called Change by Love. And I've had so many people say, why do you call it that? And I have trouble explaining it. I just say that I was such a selfish person and I met Jesus or he met me and I don't know how to explain it, but I was just changed by love. And, and a person who experiences the love of Christ will not be the same. Oh, your sinful nature will fight against it. But that's why you need to be on a Bible reading plan so you are experiencing the love and grace of God on a regular basis. That's why you need to be in church on Sunday because just like unity leaks, so does our faith leak. Someone who's been changed by love is someone who sees themselves as a great sinner. Big Bible verse that I really disagree with is when the Apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners. I want to meet him and said, I disagreed with that one, my friend, because I know what goes on in my head. You say, why should I consider somebody better than me? Because you are aware of less sin. You might be aware of more grievous sin, but less sin. I don't know anybody who sins more than me. And I hope you don't know anybody who sins more than you. Because you know what goes on in your head. You know how you think. You know what's going on. And at least you could say, you know what? They may have done things that are not great, but are not aware of that they've sinned more than me. But yet somehow, the experience of God's love doesn't bring you into self-loathing. It brings you into realizing that you're loved and you're valued by God. And such a heart sees with spiritual eyes and such a heart realizes this, and this is really important, that unity in the church, that a great church begins with who? Me. It begins with me. And we need to set ourselves on this I'm going to live for God even if nobody else in my world does. I'm going to care for others even if nobody else does. Look at verse 5 quickly. Jesus said, the Apostle Paul then takes us into this majestic section and he says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. 
Oh, this is the call to the cross. This is the call to say, let the mind of loving others, of giving your life to others, of giving your life for something bigger than yourself, for the mission of the gospel, let that be your mindset. This way of living that we've just talked about this morning, this is the standard of heaven. This is it. You got to do this to perfection. This is why, as we'll learn in the next two weeks, God had to become a man. This is why God had to come and live this life in our place and then die on the cross in our place for our failure to live this life. And so we are exchanged when we give him our sin, which he takes on the cross, and he gives us his righteous, perfect life as we put our faith, as we put our trust in him. And the Bible teaches that the forgiveness of sins in eternal life is at the expense of another. It is who counted others more important than himself. And the forgiveness of sins in eternal life, the Bible teaches, is only given to those who will turn to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ. It is not given to people who think they're good. It is not people who just go to church. It is not given to everybody. It is given to people who put their trust in God's only provision for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, what we call salvation, and that is the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle John wrote this in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, received Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. You are not a child of God unless you have received him. To those who believe, better word in our thinking is the word trust in his name. Friend, let me ask you, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Please, if you never have, don't be like, oh my goodness, everybody else here except for me, there's always plenty of people every week who never have, and many of the people that sit to your right and to your left are people who became Christians right in this very building, right in this very room, because they received the Lord Jesus Christ, because they believed or they trusted in his life and his death and his resurrection instead of themselves right in this very room, and that can be you today. That can be you. John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life. He's praying and he says that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is eternal life? That you know God and Jesus Christ. That is how you get eternal life. Friend, let me ask you, do you know him? Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? You can today come to the foot of of the cross, look upon the Savior whom the world crucified for. He died for the world's sin against him. Come to the foot of the cross. Look up at the cross. See his eyes looking to you. Look at his arms outstretched to you, inviting you to put your trust in him. And when you see Jesus' love on the cross, you will develop a sense of obligation to him. You will develop a heart that senses an obligation to the church that he died for. You will want to see other people to come into the family of God. You will want to see other people grow in the grace and knowledge of God. And you will want to then see them take it and explain it and help other people. 
when you see how Jesus Christ treats us as individuals, you will desire that the world sees Calvary Chapel Morris Hills as a church of joyful unity. That's it for today with pastor and Bible teacher Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. We hope and pray that Pastor Jim's simple and passionate verse-by-verse, line-by-line teaching through the Word of God is bringing growth to your Christian faith. Now that you've heard from us, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know how we can pray for you, answer any questions you may have, and let us know how Change by Love has helped you. Perhaps you want someone to explain to you how to have your sins forgiven, how you can go to heaven, and how you can get started or restarted in your faith. Maybe you're looking for a good Bible-teaching church in your area, Or maybe you just need someone to talk to. Remember, friends, we are here to serve you and to help you so that someday the Lord will use you to serve and help others. That's the way the kingdom of God works, and we're thrilled to participate with you in the adventure. There are many ways to contact Pastor Jim and the team here at Change by Love. All of our contact information is on our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. Once again, that's changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you would like to bless us by writing us a card or a letter. Our mailing address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Please join us next time on this same station. Until then, stay close to Jesus, and we know that you too will be changed by His love. His love.